Hello, everyone, and welcome to the LifeSphere podcast, where we aim to shed light on the significance of innovation in the life sciences, the people, the challenges, and success stories, all while educating, inspiring, and empowering professionals. Today, I am honored to have as my guest Susan Stippa, Executive Vice President, Public Relations, CG Life, a life science and healthcare marketing and communications agency, and recently part of the manufacturing team at Phyllocuticals a global healthcare company dedicated to making affordable medicine. Susan has a long career focused on using her technical expertise on engineering, regulatory, and the manufacturing side of life sciences to encourage creative, clear science communication. Susan brings a uniquely creative point of view to client challenges and works closely with them to convey their uniqueness in memorable ways. With more than 20 years in the pharmaceutical, biotechnology, financial services, and healthcare-related businesses. Prior to her current leadership role at CG Life, Susan was president and owner of McDay, an award-winning science communications firm in Philadelphia focused on the pharmaceutical manufacturing sector. McDay won multiple awards through its seven years, including the Emerald Ingenuity Award, Best Pharmaceutical Communications and PR Agency in the Mid-Atlantic Region. After much searching for the perfect fit, McDay was acquired in 2020 by CG Life, a science and communications firm out of Chicago and San Diego, where Susan remains responsible for the drug discovery, engineering, and manufacturing sectors of the Philadelphia office. Before switching to the sunny side of communications, Susan worked as a chemical process engineer in the pharmaceutical industry as a commercial director for Foster Wheeler Biokinetics. Susan, it is so great to have you join me today. We've known each other for quite some time, and every time we talk, you're working on something new and amazing. So Susan, with the history that you have and your background, how does a chemical process engineer find their way into the biotech space and senior leadership roles in a marketing firm? Well, it is great to be here, and I love being asked this question because I think you kind of turn that question on its head and say, so how did someone who fancied themselves a writer always from a very young age decide to get a chemical engineering degree? And I mean, the the real facts are that it's really easy to get a job as a chemical engineer. It's as simple as that when you're 20 years old. You know, that is a big driver. But at heart, I think there are a lot of engineers that have this creative side. I mean, we always hear about musicians and mathematicians, and I think it's the same with engineering. Um, It's one of the themes that um, I have people either nodding their heads when I talk about this or looking at me with a little bit of a quizzical look because engineers are problem solvers, but they also have to be really creative in the way that they approach the problem. So, Kath, I mean, you might not even know this after all the years we've known each other, but I sew quilts. I'm a writer on the <laughs> side. I write poetry. It's It's been a longstanding creative bent in my family that I'm the creative one. And yet I knew that I could continue to do those kinds of things. But engineering, somebody had to teach me. So um, at some point, you know, you are happy that you have this incredibly technical engineering background. But I always had a sense I would find my way back um, to the creative side, which, you know, marketing is that overall umbrella that kind of covers that uh, creative path. And I made a specific leap in my 20s to take a technical role that was a marketing product manager kind of role. 
That is so funny, Susan, I have to say. With the background, uh, I might have a similar background. As you know, people are always thinking I'm very analytical, but I too uh, sew quilts and have for quite some time. I think it requires an awful lot of thought, accuracy, but creativity. That's hilarious. That's, That's funny. Too. See, we learned something about each other. Isn't that great? Um, so I think that your whole uh, kind of flipping it on its head, I think it's it's really, um, I think it's a good insight into the way that you approach your value in, in, in as you write, uh, the stories that you bring to life for your customers and in general. So I wonder, where do you see uh, based on, you know, just your communication and all the touch points that you have, where do you see uh, the industry heading? Um, we are definitely on a fast track. In some cases, it feels like it's breakneck speed and other times it feels like it's excruciatingly slow, you know, and the patients are waiting and you can never get a therapy to the market fast enough. But part of it, I think, is this whole digital transformation. But how do you keep that focus on the person. So I put two or three questions in there. A couple so questions in there. Yeah, but I, I love it. Um, so I was going to answer the original question um, with the thought that, you know, my experience was on the manufacturing side. I've been on almost every manufacturing pharmaceutical facility site, building or expanding those facilities in my engineering career. So you become a spokesperson during this past pandemic response period when people were asking questions, well, why can't we get this to happen sooner? And, you know, I came from the side of the world that could explain that, you know, this is a 12 year process normally. So what happened during that pandemic? I just want to take a moment to say it was absolutely unprecedented, historically a phenomenal feat that this industry was able to do what they did. Once they did, just like any humans, we now have the expectation that that is the way it's going to be going forward. And, you know, from what I am seeing, because of this nexus of digital transformation of, oh, we did it, so we can figure out supply chain and we can figure out, you know, all of the things that needed to come together to allow that to happen are now become the standard. And that's a little scary, but, um, you know, I speak from a couple points of view. It is also transformative because the idea that now we have two other platforms for developing protein-based therapeutics than we had before, than were accepted before. You know, Kath, you know, mRNA, baclovirus, all of those things have been around for a really long time. But right. there was no reason and no incentive for our industry to really change its path until this. And so mm -hmm. I feel like we are so lucky, you and I, and so many of us to have been at that pivot point and be able to explain, so communicate what was happening and how unprecedented it was, um, and then be able to also help people look forward. Um, you know, phytoceuticals that I'm very intimately involved with is a plant-based therapeutics platform that, you know, the technology, as our chief scientific officer often says, has been around, you know, since the dinosaurs. You know, we used to. <laughs> treat people with plant-based therapeutics before there were any real medicines. And, and FDA has been very happy about this technology for a long time, but now it has a window. Now mRNA has a window to just kind of explode into. So I love 
the fact that my career put me at that pivot point and you are in this, the same spot. Um, you asked, you know, another piece of this around the personalization. How do we keep the patient? Um, and I see this all the time because I have an additional audience in my public relations role where I have, you know, I always say it's about 300 people that communicate life sciences to the rest of us. There are only 300 journalists in media, maybe 300 plus or minus 10%. And that includes, you know, everybody from the New York Times science columnist down to trade publication journalists. It's not a huge number, but man, it is a lot smaller than it used to be. And they don't all have the science backgrounds that you and I have, the, the analytics data background that you have. We, you know, there's so much that they don't understand and we're in a really cool spot to be able to give them that information. One of the things that comes up all the time is how is this industry transforming towards personalized medicine where you're developing therapies that could be in the hands of, you know, a couple hundred people versus, you know, smallpox and, you know, millions of people, H1M1, millions upon millions, COVID. Now we're talking mm -hmm. about, we've decided that this patient population, we're going to put our efforts, our R&D, our money towards solving this disease state and then solving it forever. They're cured right. in the case of cell and gene therapy. So there are so many cool issues, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that one of the cool things is that it's a natural personal twist that this has taken because we are now talking about a couple hundred people, maybe a couple thousand, but those are people. And so right. journalists, interestingly, are much more interested in the patient's stories. So for that part of my business, it stays highly personal. In the case of digital transformation, I was just talking to a client today about how even data is turning from this kind of cold black box, don't understand it, somebody else has to do it for me, to, oh, wait, wait, I, I can use data to actually get more personal. I can talk to people more easily. I can reach people that I need to reach with a message that's extremely specific uh, you know, and in, in my world, in the agency world, we call that the whole, you know, paid media digital piece of our business, where what I do and my staff, we work on what's called earned media, which is journalists just want to hear the story, the facts, the science. They're not we're not paying for that. We're just educating journalists so they can write and they can write cogently and clearly and concisely for all the rest of, you know, the world. So it is the coolest job in the world, what I get to do. It's great when it's not really a job, it's fun, right? Exactly. I yeah, I think one of your, I'm sorry, I cut you off there. No, no. One of the things I think you bring uh, to light here, and I think it's important, is this sort of um, convergence of communication, digital transformation, and keeping the patient in mind. I think it's very important to everyone that we don't create this um, this vision where medicine's becoming less personal because it's very much about the patient. Um, and I think communication clearly and accurately is very important. One of the things I see from my side of the world, which is the data side, is it's really important to include all populations. And we need to take a look at just how well we message and how our messages are consumed and how do we get that out right so how do you engage and you work with your customers all the time how do we get 
the message to the right people so that they hear it. And, you know, things like participating in clinical trials. How do we get more people into them? Well, it's people like you, I think. And I think your companies and the work that you do think about that all the time. Right. We do. do And that's exact. Yeah, that is exactly the example that I was going to bring to, to mind. Again, looking back at the pandemic, clinical trials couldn't really take place except virtually. And then you have an explosion of the metables, the threads, the companies that are absolutely committed to doing this all online, end to end. But you know what that means? It means we are uh, being allowed now to include a much more diverse population inside those clinical trials as long as we can communicate with those populations. So to your point, there is so much, and, and so much of this is is digital, right? How are they focusing in on communities? How are they focusing them when they get to the communities on diverse populations that may not you know, may not be reading about life sciences in the same way that we uh, we do on a daily basis. I love being in those strategic conversations with these kinds of companies because they are literally changing the world. Now we're going to be having, you know, drugs that are tested, you know, much more comprehensively. I'd love to say that that was being driven before the pandemic. And yes, there were companies working on it, but now it's becoming the norm. And that's one great example of getting more personal, more diverse through, you know, online reaching of populations we never even thought about trying to reach before. Right. And I think kind of some of the thread of what I think we were both just talking about with getting to all of the people, um, it allows us to become more global in, in the way that we can see the delivery of medicine. We are uh, fortunate to live where we live and have access to the kinds of treatments, therapies, physicians, you name it, um, here in our country. Um, but that's not necessarily the case for everyone uh, globally. And I think we have learned, at least from my side, I know we've gathered data, um, and we now know that it impacts, you know, you can see uh, one company, one country does impact another country. We travel, we we do all of these things. So we need to work together. Um, and I think that's another part of what you were talking about there. And this is this whole sort of, it's a global stage now, right? We can't yes. just look at our town or city or country. Would, would you agree with that? Or do you have any Yeah, you're giving me a great platform to talk about um, phytoceuticals for a couple of seconds. And, you know, the idea that you we need to think about countries that, you know, frankly, did not have the access that they should have. And that hurt the globe, right? Because we could not get our vaccination rates up. They couldn't even access. So, you know, scientists have been thinking for a long time about how do you toss out the idea that a pharmaceutical manufacturing facility has to cost, and Kath, right now, they are, you know, minimum $600 million, you know, more likely a billion dollars plus to put a new manufacturer. There are countries that that is just absolutely out of the question. So Mm -hmm. I see a world in which um, these plants as bioreactors become something that are, you know, as simple as growing a plant is, uh, phytoceuticals has shown us that it is not, you know, complete simplicity. There's a lot of light, air, you know, wavelengths of proper light, but it is still eons more simple to put 
uh, plant-based therapeutics platform facility in a local warehouse because we just put an autonomous clean room and we roll it right in and you're up and running. And growing plants, by the way, I you know a little bit about this, maybe a lot about this, you know, plants have the same mechanism to produce proteins that mammalian cells do. And we get asked all the time, so why have we been using mammalian cells for so long? Well, we've been using it for so long because that has that's the way it has been. And mm-hmm. like we alluded to earlier, we are now in a spot where different platforms are being embraced. So I see a world where South Africa, you know, the Far East, the anywhere in the world can decide that they are going to put a plant-based therapeutics platform and be able to have access, maybe even city by city, maybe someday in your own backyard, where, you know, from a from the standpoint of being able to diagnose so much more quickly. I mean, the, you know, the DDPCR, you know, technologies yeah. that are happening now are allowing, you know, diag- diagnosis to happen so much quicker. There's just so much happening on every front. And someday we may go dial up in our backyard the the protein therapy that, you know, will be able to be delivered within days, maybe even hours. It's just going that direction. That's what I get to see every day because I, I see so many clients with these unbelievable strides. And, you know, they're being talked about because people like us are starting to put those those communications out on the street. But it's happening and it's real. And and scientists are attacking every piece of this problem. That's where it's going to be for our kids. I'm convinced. Yeah, I think it's I think it's truly amazing. And everyone, I think, says in their own decades, wow, we live in a transformational time. But I really think what we're going to see over the next 10 or 15 years is going to be unbelievable. Um, As they say, it is a revolution. Right. Um, So I know that um, a lot of folks are always interested to find out, you know, a little something about people that maybe necessarily isn't well known or or publicly known or, or something like that. A couple of my guests have shared that they've taken up sailing and um, some other folks have um, started a, a different renovation project that perhaps they hadn't thought of uh, or, or embarked on a course, um, you know, of learning that doesn't have anything necessarily to do with what we all identify as, you know, something that would define them. And I wonder if there's anything that you might have uh, that might be something that people would find interesting, but yet we wouldn't know. And we've known each other a long time. So maybe there's I, already something surpri- I-, <laughs> I surprised you about the quilt. So I'll continue. <laughs> we started talking about creativity in the earliest part of these, this conversation. And I am someone that is increasingly vocal about finding quiet and brain space to be creative. I won't say that I am not the mother that tells my kids to put the phone down because I have my phone, you know, from the first thing in the morning until the end of the day. But a dream came true for me about a year ago where I bought a farmhouse out in the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania, still about an hour from Philly, but it is allowing me to live something that I believe in very strongly, which is that for this industry, or in fact, any endeavor that we are, you know, all about, that we need quiet and still, and I call it brain space. My staff would laugh because they hear it all the time. I insist that my my people at CG Life go outside, go somewhere quiet. Your, you know, your hours on the weekend, if you come up with a great idea for a client while you're on a run, that's a billable hour because you're 
thinking, you're allowing yourself the quiet. So I guess that's the, that's the probably unexpected piece of me is that I have a very strong drive to allow us to go back to the okayness of having quiet. And it does not need to be chaotic all the time. In fact, that's probably counterproductive for us to continue moving forward. Um, Because I guess I had enough people ask me, where do you come up with all these creative ideas? And, And I finally, over COVID, started thinking about, how do I answer that question? Well, the answer is quiet. And I take baths every day. I read for at least an hour and a half, two hours a day. Just finding time away from the day to day um, and and the things that can absolutely be addictively consuming and don't allow you to really think and be creative. So how's that for an answer? <laughs> I love that. Uh, one of my things is to go drive and not have the radio on. And I'm I, and I'm going somewhere that's completely no end. I'm just driving. And it's like you said, it's brain space. I just love that. And I agree that um, our brains are complex and they can handle a lot of things, but they also need some time to do stuff to think. Um, It's not conscious thinking. You know, you're thinking, but you're not. (laughs) Unstructured thinking to allow connections to be made that really are the heart of creativity and creativity threads everything that we do, Kath. So it's probably why we connected. We just never really sat down and talked about it. <laughs> it's so great. So Susan, this has been such a great conversation. Um, as I've said at, at the top of the hour or the top of the show here, you know, every time we talk, um, I learn something. And that's what I love about uh, being able to talk to all, all the good folks here in the life sciences industry. So for that, um, I'd really like to thank you, Susan Stippa, for joining us today on the Life Sphere podcast. And I'm looking forward to seeing you again in the future. Thanks so much. Bye bye, Kat. Thanks for having me. It was a real pleasure. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Life Sphere, where we talk with leaders in the life science industry about what inspires them and how we all can work together because the patient is waiting. Please find us on Spotify, Pandora, and iHeartRadio. Like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. And we look forward to joining you on the next episode.